to look with us. We're in Romans 7 and covered the first five verses pretty well. But to do a review, get us back together, and maybe this is a $5 review of a $1,000 subject. We won't do it justice, and we didn't the first time, and we won't now either. But in chapter 7, he closed out 6, the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So we've been looking here in 6 at the change of the man. We, we saw before in uh, 5 and chapter 4, it's by faith alone. And justification comes through Christ alone with no works, nothing added. But it's all the work of Christ that brings righteousness to man. And in chapter 6, we saw that it's not just justification, but regeneration as well. A new creature is made. God takes that man that He has justified through the work of Christ and raises him up, a new creature, with a new life, filled with the Spirit of God. So in chapter 7, he's looking at the picture. And again, it was of a man and a woman that's married. They vowed to one another. And by the law of God in the Old Testament, those vows end only with death. So a man and a woman is married. They're bound to one another by the law till one of them dies. But you know, when one of them dies, at that moment, they're free from that bondage. Their obligation, and again, and I know we talked about this last time, but we need to get our thoughts in this vein again. Morgan is obligated to me and I to her. We're married. But if I died right now, if I fell dead, her obligation to me is filled. That's only while I'm alive. She is only obligated to me while I live. But the minute I die, she's free to marry again by the law. She's no more obligated to me. And so that picture, he uses that as us, that we were obligated to the law. We were under the law. We had broken the law and thereby we were obligated to pay the penalty of death. Not just death of the body, but death of the soul in the lake of fire that burneth forever and ever, in the place that was prepared for the devil and his angels, a place where the soul of man would dwell in torment forever and ever. That's what we were obligated to pay by the law of God. But the Lord Jesus came and the Lord Jesus died. Now He died as a substitute for you and I. We read, I believe it's in Hebrews, that He tasted death for every man. He died in my place and your place. And in His death, those that come to God by faith in Jesus Christ, their obligation to the law has been paid. Though I've not died and went to hell, though I have not had to pay the obligation that I owed the law, the Lord Jesus died. And God looks at us as our obligation to the law has been paid. And we are now dead to the law. Does that mean the law has no authority? He does not say that the law died. I think a lot of times... That's the way it's thought of. The law did not die here. Christ died. 
and I'm regarded as dead to the law. But the law is still alive. The law still stands. The law still has authority. And all of those that are undone and outside of the Lord Jesus, they're going to be judged by the law, by their works. The law is not dead. But this part is dead to the believers. Trying to please God by keeping the law. In the oldness of the letter is the way he puts it. That way of works, that way of, uh, of striving to please God and all the ceremonies of the law, we're dead to that. That's of no value to the church of the living God anymore. We don't serve in the oldness of the letter, but in the newness of the Spirit. This is a, as he says in Hebrews again, a new and living way. Not the deadness of the letter, but the regeneration of the Spirit. And so, verse 5, chapter 7, When we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So before the resurrection came, before regeneration, before we were made a new creature, we did as our flesh pleased. We did as we wanted, we did as we saw fit, and we gave no regard to the law, no regard to God, spat in the face of judgment, and rebelled continually towards the Lord. That's the way the world is right now. That's the way the world will always be. That's the way the undone... Now, how can you say the world will always be like that? Because the spirit of disobedience will work in them until the spirit of disobedience is cast into the lake of fire. Until God closes the world. There will always be evil and rebellion and man will always be there in rebellion towards God. But now we are delivered from the law. There's been a change made. In those that are saved, they're delivered from the law. You know what the law done? The law said, don't do this. And you know what I done? We're going to look at it in just a minute. When the law said, don't do it, that made me want to do it. Funny how that works, ain't it? It works that way in children, and it works that way in us. The law commanded and it brought forth rebellion. It brought forth me desiring to go against what I was told that I ought to do. But now we're delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. We don't go back to the way they done in the Old Testament. You know how they did in the Old Testament? They had a ceremony. It was wrote out. The priest, he had to go in. He had to clean. He had to look in the mirror. He had to offer this on the altar. He had to carry that blood in. He had to sprinkle that blood. He had to burn the incense. It was written down. It was a ceremony. It was prescribed. And they went through the motions of that. Just as God commanded. God, remember, told Moses... Be sure that you build all things according to the pattern. It was laid out. There was a pattern that was made. And they went through the ritual and the ceremony of it. Now there's a reason there was a pattern. 
There's a reason that there was a ceremony. There's a reason that God said this is how this has to be done. Because it was pointing towards the work that the Lord Jesus was going to accomplish. It was pointing in every way. And if God could open it up to our eyes, to my eyes, and let me see all of the types and shadows in those Old Testament ceremonies, I'm sure we could think on that for the rest of our life. But they were there to point to the Lord Jesus. But that's not the way the church serves God any longer. Isn't it something that man still wants a ceremony, a form, a fashion, and a religion that we can go through these steps and we'll be good for another week? If I do this today, God's going to be pleased with me till next Sunday morning. And we need to do this Wednesday and God will help us till the weekend comes. And it's religion and a ceremony and it's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. You know how God served today? In the newness of the Spirit. In the living of the Spirit. That as the church comes together, it ought not be a form that we desire to go through in the flesh, but desiring the presence, the power, and the leadership of the Holy Ghost on everyone that's saved, that God would move us to offer something to Him. Now, it's very easy to come in on Sunday morning and expect Rex and Daniel to sing and expect Anthony or Kevin or somebody else to open, Joseph to teach, Greg to preach, We'll go home. And I, I realize this. There's, there's got to be decency and order. There ought to be decency and order and positions and places. But if you're not careful, that will become a form. And we'll come, we'll go through the form, and we'll say, well, we served God this morning. And we had a good service. And we'll come back tonight and we'll expect the songs an altar of prayer and preaching and we'll go home tonight and say, boy, we had a good day in the Lord. Not because the Holy Ghost came by and stirred us up and let us glorify God. Not because God came by and thundered down in the depths of our soul and blessed us with a truth that we hadn't seen before, but because we had went through a form and a fashion of religion. That's not the way the church serves God today. Coming down here, going through a form, going to the house, God's not been worshipped by you in that. Man wants to think that that's good enough for me. I've done my part to honor God. God's not served in that way any longer. It's in the newness of the Spirit. Because you see, the world's religions, they've got ceremonies, They've got rituals. They've got habits. They've got things that they do day by day. Things that they do at special times. While we have a jubilee every year. We meet early on Easter. We have a sunrise service. Well, those are well and good. But the ritual and the motions, that does nothing to worship God. God's worshiped one way today. In spirit and in truth. Maybe that's, maybe that's hard to, to get a hold of, but that's the way it is. So we've been delivered from the bondage of the law, the guilt 
of our sins because Christ was substituted for us in death. Now verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? So here's the next question. The law seems to be all of my trouble. And if it wasn't for the blame law, I wouldn't be guilty. Well, now that's the assumption that man comes to, and he covers that, but that's a couple chapters later. But is there something wrong with the law? Why is it that the law has got all of us guilty, all of us bound, and it's going to condemn us all to destruction? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So, sin, the law did nothing, and it did not create sin. Sin was already present, already rampant, and it already took over all of the seed of Adam. And Satan, who's the father of sin, he's where sin and rebellion began and came from, how that mankind was infected with the disease to begin with, Satan was the leader and the guider of all of mankind. And here's the problem. Man's a sinner, and man ain't got any idea that he is. Man's guilty before God. Man has rebelled against God. Man is in danger of dying naturally, and his soul being cast into the lake of fire, which burneth forever and ever. That's where man was. So you know, if I'm never made aware that I'm in need, and that I'm going to die, and in hell lift my eyes, if I'm never made aware of that, I'm never going to do anything about that. If I've got a smudge on my forehead and I never look in the mirror, and nobody here tells me about it, I'm never going to know that that's there. Well, it's the same with man's lost condition. Man was already sinful, already rebellious. You know how I know that? Because Adam died. Enoch died. And Methuselah died. David died. Moses died. Noah died. They all died. They're all gone. They all sinned. They were all guilty. And so, was the law the problem? Did the law kill them? I mean, you might could say that. But there's a problem there too. Adam died before the law. Enoch died before the law. Methuselah died before the law. Noah, he died before there was a law. Abraham, Isaac, they died before there was a law, as did Jacob and all of his sons. So the law wasn't killing people. It was sin that was killing people. Sin and the devil was taking people's lives and they were unaware that they were even guilty before God. That's a problem, ain't it? You want somebody to fix something, they're going to have to be aware that something is wrong. 
So there's where the law comes in. Paul says, I had not known sin but by the law. I'd have wandered through this life as a sinner, guilty before God, and I'd have died completely unaware of that and been cast into hell. Now that's what would have happened without the law. I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is not sin, but the law makes me aware of my sin. And you know, as silly as it is, our world today would like to do away with the law so that there's no guilt for my sin. Wouldn't you say that's the reason for that? To get rid of anything that would guilt me or shame me for my sin. Well, does doing away with the law, does that change anything? If we outlawed the Word of God in the United States of America and there was no teaching or preaching, would that help man in his guilt towards God? No man's guilty. Remember that. Man's guilty already. Jesus said it. He that believeth not is condemned already. He's already condemned. Man's already on the road to destruction. Already guilty before God. You know why there's a law? You know why there's preaching? You know why there's teaching? You know why we gather this morning to look into the Word of God that we might hear and that we might understand that outside of the Lord Jesus, none of us have any hope whatsoever. That we might be made aware of our guilt towards God and look toward one that could help us. That's the purpose of the law. It was to make me aware of my sin to point me to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I realize we talked about that last time as well. But in Judges chapter 21, I had not known sin. Judges 21... Verse number 25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. There was no authority, no ruler. And you know what man did? Whatever he felt was right. Maybe Vaughn thought this was right. He's going to do that. Maybe I think something else is right, and I'm going to do that. And every man with their own opinion and with their own thought and with their own will, they're doing what they see as right. Now that might be all right if everybody's good people. But what if this morning lawlessness took over and everybody on Spring Creek done what was right in their own eyes? Do you think we'd have a problem? we'd have a big problem. Well, that's the way it is without the law spiritually. Every man's doing as he sees fit and in his own eyes, in Proverbs chapter 12, and all of this is familiar Scripture, I I realize that, but Proverbs chapter 12, now this is man in his natural state. Verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. In chapter 14, verse number 12, 
There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. One more time, 21 and 2. This is Proverbs. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. And so man is in this place where he's sinful and rebellious, but not only that, he's also blinded by the devil. There in Corinthians where Greg was looking, that next chapter, the fourth chapter, Paul concludes that if our gospel is hid, it's hid to them that are lost, who the God of this world hath blinded their minds. They can't see it. It's not, well, I don't know why that they do this. I understand saying that in the flesh, but I know why people do what they do. I know why the world's crazy. I know why people despise the truth and despise the gospel and desire to live in lawlessness. It's because their mind's blinded and they can't see any better. They don't understand any better. The devil has blinded their minds to the truth and man's just doing what he thinks is right. Are they right? Was you? You know what we needed? We needed something to reveal the truth to us. We needed some means to come to the understanding that the way we're on is not right. Because you know where that way ends? In death. That way ends in death. And you know, naturally speaking, in the flesh, it don't matter if you're the healthiest person and healthiest living person that there is, or if you just run your body through everything that damages and causes harm, in the end, everybody's going to die. That's right. You're gone. Now your life may be drastically different in between by how you do. And I'm not saying that it's not. The Bible says bodily exercise profiteth little. So it doesn't say it doesn't profit. It's profitable. But the spiritual man, you know the spiritual man doesn't have to die and be cast into hell. God made a way for man to escape that judgment. And it's the law and the Word of God that points man from what he feels and thinks is right under the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of it all. If there was no salvation, then we'd have no need of a law. Right? But the law was given for one purpose, to point me to the means of salvation. Because once I'm aware my way's not right, I'll look for a way that is. Once I'm aware that where I'm walking is going to lead me into hell, I'll look for a means to escape that. And so that's why the law came. But notice what Paul says here, for I had not known lust. Now, Paul was, by the word of God, a man that was blameless of the law. Nobody could take the commandments and outwardly say, Paul, I seen you. I seen you break this commandment. You did this. Nobody had any evidence of that on him. Paul was a man, and you talk about a man of temperance. He was a man of self-control. And he kept himself 
from a lot of these sins that the law laid out. There's not a lot of temperance today. Not a lot at all. But Paul was a man of self-control that lived in a manner that was blameless by his peers of the law. Now, was he blameless before God? Not according to what he says here. He would not have known lust, a longing, especially for that which is forbidden. You know what Paul was? He was a lustful man. He coveted. Now, I realize, you start talking about lust, you think about men and women lusting after one another. That's true. But there's a lot more than that too. I believe what Paul coveted was the praise and the admiration and the looks of man upon his righteousness. He was working not to worship God. He was being temperate not to lift God's name up. But he was doing that because he wanted everybody around him, everybody in the Pharisee religion, everybody on the Sanhedrin court, he wanted the high priest to look on him and say, now there is a fine young man. Let's exalt him to a higher position because of how good that he is. You know what made him aware that there was a problem? The law did. The lust was brought open brought to light by the law. In Psalm 19, Psalm 19, verse number 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So the Word of God, what works that the Word of God has done among men? But the Word of God is that that makes me aware, enlightens my eyes to the judgments and the righteousness of God. And without the Word of God, Paul would have went on lusting and died in that condition. But what love that God's going to make him aware that Paul needs a Savior, a means for him to get rid of his sin and of his lust. Now in Colossians, he says this about covetousness. Maybe this is hard to see too. But Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So he says, and this is the same writer, Paul says covetousness is idolatry, the worship of a false god. Now that sounds silly, but now you, you think about it in Paul's case now. Paul's desire was that man would approve of and praise him. That's what he sought after. That's where his strength, the Bible says, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole law in two commandments. 
So Paul, did he love the Lord with all of his heart? Is that what his inward desire was towards the Lord? No, it was towards Him. He wanted glory. He wanted the praise of men. The soul, the inward man. Was it the inward man desire to please, worship, and honor God? Absolutely not. His mind, was he thinking as he was walking and living righteously? Was he thinking in his mind, I'm doing this because I love the Lord? And with his strength, was his strength being spent bringing honor and glory to God? Or was it spent in works outwardly to bring honor and glory to himself? It was on self. He was worshiping not God, but himself. Worshiping his own will, his own desire, and what pleased him the most. So covetousness. And the Bible says of the law of God, the Word of God in Hebrews 4, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And you all know this Scripture. Dividing between the bone and the marrow and discerning the thought and the intent of the heart. You know the law of God, it goes a lot deeper than what I engage my hands in. And the Lord Jesus tried to bring that to light. The Lord Jesus said, you say, if you lay with a woman, you fornicated or committed adultery with her. But I say unto you, that if in your heart you look on her, you've committed adultery in your heart. The Lord took the law, and my gosh, if it wasn't impossible before, it's absolutely impossible now to keep the law. You know what He's trying to do? Point man to the means of redemption in Jesus Christ. People like Paul could say, well, I've not broken nine of those commandments. Is that true? How many of you broke? I mean, I've just broke a couple. That's what man thinks. You know what he needs? He needs his eyes opened. The law is there to open the eyes. So listen to the way the law works. Thou shalt not covet bringing knowledge of sin. In verse 8, but sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. There's a lot to unpack right there. So sin, taking occasion a starting point or an opportunity. Sin took the law as a starting point and wrought in me to work fully, to accomplish, to finish, or to fashion. All manner of concupiscence. That's the same word as covetousness in the verse before. A longing, especially for that which is forbidden. For without the law, out of space, separately, 
or apart from, sin was dead. So you think now how the devil worked in the Garden of Eden. They had one commandment. Adam and Eve are there in the garden. They're there alone. There's only the two of them. They've got one commandment. This tree of knowledge of good and evil, you cannot eat of that or you're going to die. Now where does the devil start? He starts with the law, doesn't he? He takes the word that God told them, what they couldn't do, and that's where he starts. You know what he's got to do first? Muddy the water. He's got to create doubt about what God has said. And you know, for man to sin, that's where it always starts. Now wait a minute. This is something I should not do. I should not act this way. This is a deed that I should not perform. The law stands up and says that. But you know what the devil does? He justifies that. Does just like what he does with Eve. Why, God didn't mean that. I mean, this is a special case. God didn't mean you was going to surely die. No, you can eat of that, and you're going to be better off for doing it. The devil's first got to take the law and twist it in our minds to justify sin. Because if I know the law, then I know not to do that. So the devil's got to start and take occasion with the law. Because now, if there was no law, there would be no transgression. Right? If I didn't know that I shouldn't covet if I was unaware that I shouldn't commit adultery, that I shouldn't commit murder, if I was unaware of any of the law, then could I not do that freely and not have any inward condemnation to my conscience? But see, what causes me to hesitate is I know. I know the law. I know what God said. So the devil begins with the law, twisting and resting the Scripture. John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 4, that sin is the transgression of the law. He also says in Corinthians, if it's not of faith, it's sin. But I believe right there in John, you've got a great... You want to know what sin is? It's transgressing the law, and the Word of God. It's violating, it's going over top of, it's breaking what God says ought not to be done. But the devil has took the law, and people that know what the law says, man in his mind has justified sin over top of the law. There's nothing wrong with that. Now how's that happen? Well, it took occasion. He took the law and he twisted it and rested it in the minds of people's hearts, deceiving them to the truth in James chapter 1. But every man, verse 14, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So how is a man tempted? 
So that's a trial. That's a putting to proof. Well, when he's drawn away of his lust, so he's got a longing for something, and he allows that longing to draw his mind and draw his heart day after day until it's to the place... Now, I'm sure, I'm sure we've all been here in some way, shape, or form. But you let that encompass your mind long enough to where it's more now than just I'd like to have that, and now it's enticing to the flesh. Now that we've allowed lust to roll around in our mind for this long, now it's enticing to the flesh. Then when lust hath conceived, so lust is working to produce something, and that's sin. You allow lust, you allow covetousness to roll over in your heart long enough, it'll produce that, that you're longing for. We'll produce it. And sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. But that begins with the law. Sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. So when we found out that it was forbidden, <coughs> ain't it something that man's desire... There's, there's not a group of people in the United States of America that's naturally born with a desire to do the right thing by the law. Ain't that something? That everybody that's born is a liar by nature. Everybody that's born is covetous by nature. Everybody that's born hates everybody that's a harm to them by nature. Everybody that's born loves their self more than everybody else around them. And everybody that's born don't care what the law says. I'm doing it anyway. Ain't that something? I mean, if it's by chance and if it's by nature, wouldn't there be one born ever now and then it'd be opposite to that? You'd think. You'd think somebody would be born and be born the right way. But there's not. And there never will be. Because it's not by chance. It's not how I'm raised. It's not what I'm taught. All of those things are trying to bring me out of my natural state, which is to sin and rebel towards God. And that state is there because man was injected with sin in the garden and sin still rules over man. The law came to make us aware of that just how helpless and hopeless that we are on our own. God sent the law to help us. Now the law came. We're made aware of what sin is. Did that stop us from sinning? When you were little, you didn't know what a lie was. But you come to an age that you knew what a lie was. You knew what it was to tell something that wasn't the truth. You were made aware that that was the wrong thing to do. Son, daughter, you should not lie. You always should tell me the truth. We all heard that. You were made aware of the law. And son, 
If I catch you in a lie, I'll wear you out. You were made aware of judgment. But if you do good, I'll reward you. Did that stop you from lying? No, I'll tell you what happened. In just a little while, you did something that was going to cause some skin to come off of you. And when you were pressed about it, and it was your hind end on the line, and you were the one that were going to get in trouble, and it was your neck that was going to get skinned, you said, nope, that wasn't me. I did not do that. And you lied knowing what the law was. You know why you did that? Because you're sinful. And sin took occasion, took the law and said, now wait a minute, if you tell the truth here, it's going to cost you. You'd better just lie. It'll be easy that way. It'll be better for you to just lie right here. And you lied. Sounds Now that sounds simple and giggly because we remember when we were little how that was, but it's no different now. Sin does the same thing. Sin says, look, if you do this, it's going to be better for you to do it. You'll be happier. It'll bring you pleasure and it's going to fulfill you and it'll make you happy. Forget about that law and enjoy yourself. That's the way sin works. The law was not a remedy for sin. The law can't remedy sin. Sin's an inward problem. It's having a staph infection and rubbing icy hot on it. It's not going to solve the problem. We need something that goes within that can solve the problem that's within. And I'm right now out of time. Sin taking occasion wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. Does that mean sin was not working? No, we we all know that sin was working. But to me... Before the law, I didn't know sin was working. I didn't know that I was going to die lost and undone. I thought I was all right the way I was. I didn't know the God's truth, though I knew and was aware of the law in the mind, until God came by, I didn't know a fingernail breadth of how evil that I really was. I mean, I was... I know I've done some things, but I, I'm a whole lot better than most people are. You know what the law showed me? That I was the bottom of the barrel. And I can tell you today that the law is absolutely 100% correct about this man. This man is the bottom of the barrel. I was the one. That was wrong. You know how that happened? Sin took occasion, twisted the law, deceived me, and slew me. That's what we'll look at next time. Anybody, anything on your heart you'd like to say?